Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a feminist, but sometimes when I go to do uh, corporate speaking events and I'm standing around with a load of men and I don't have anything in common with them, but I need to bond with them quickly, I ask one of them to explain the offside rule to me. (laughs) And when he does, I say, wow, I've never understood it before and so many men have explained it, but the way you explained it, I really get it. (laughs) I don't. I haven't been listening, but... (laughs) I'll tell you something, it works every single time. I have got so much work out of doing that. What's more, I'm a feminist, but I've told other women to do it, and it works for them too. I'm just thinking, as a football fan, on the other side, that would 100% work for me. If someone complimented me on my offside rule skills, then I would be, that would really work for me. Would it? Would yeah. it? So if I'd said to you, I, well, actually, I might ask you, because you might be able to understand it. Wait, I might, I might, I might pay attention. I just find myself tuning right. out. No. <laughs> oh, God. Go on. Okay, so you've got to have two... Say the goal's here. You've got to have two defensive players between the ball and the goal. So if this is the attacking player and they receive the ball here, they will be offside. It's more than that, but that'll do for now. Okay. I think I need to just know more about the fundamentals of football before I understand what any of that with the glasses was. But if you're listening at home, Chloe explained it beautifully with glasses. Did anyone understand it better than they had before because of that? Yes. Great. Did, did, was, did someone say no? You, you already knew. If anyone wants further explanation, I'll be at the bar at the end of the show and Excellent. I'll have various different condiments that I can utilise there. You do football comedy, don't you? 
Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in hearing more, where can they hear that? Uh, oh, that's really great presenting there, actually. Yeah. Yeah, congratulations. I'm an, I'm a, I'm an absolute <laughs> pro. That was wonderful. Where can they hear um, more? Uh, you can come and see me at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 17th of June, or you can come and see me at the Edinburgh Fringe for the whole of the Fringe in my new show, If You Can't Say Anything Nice. Um, I'm a feminist but sometimes I go to yoga at the community centre on a Thursday because the old short-sighted women that go think I'm a lovely polite young man (laughs) 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 that that is very strong and chivalric and holds the door open to them (laughs) brilliant I love it I'm a feminist but tonight we are because of Laura Lex's brilliant book in part talking about netball. And when somebody gasped then in excitement. And <laughs> at first, was never at received first, that response when before. I was reading the book and I thought, oh, well, we're going to be talking about pivoting, but we're also going to be talking about netball. And when, when I was reading the book, I honestly, my first thought was, I should pretend I liked it and was good at it at school because I'm tall and well, people will think I'm less feminist if I say I'm bad at sports. <laughs> and that I just wanted to look at the, to sit on the side and look pretty. Oh. However, however, I didn't really care about looking pretty at school. I just didn't want to do sport of any sort. And honestly, every time I played netball, someone would like hit me in the face with an netball. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not good at it. But in my mind, I think people will think, if you're feminist, you kind of, you know, if you're able to yeah. if you're you know if you have the ability to which i do uh you should be good at it and want to do it and you want should want to get dirty and you should want to throw things and catch things and duck from things and <laughs> shout rightio <laughs> i don't know what they say in that was the bit i missed out of the offside rule actually <laughs> if you shout rightio then it means you're onside um no but it's a shame because i would have been one of the girls that would have thrown the ball in your face i actually i got banned from playing netball at school because i refused to accept that it wasn't a contact sport <laughs> <laughs> wow you would fully have been my nemesis. <laughs> um, have you got one? Uh, I'm a feminist, but I think anyone whose reason to have a child is because they want a little mini-me um, shouldn't be allowed to procreate. Because <laughs> it's like... Thank you for the one... No, because it's just... Any person that wants a little mini-me is always the worst person. Do you know what I mean? It's just like Darren, who wants the cocaine at a carol concert. Like, it's just the worst... <laughs> It's I the word, do, like, yeah. I don't like you. Why would I want to consume, like, a little sort of version of you in constant... I just, yeah. yeah. I'm a feminist, but I read a headline today that said, Al Pacino, 83, is expecting a child with his girlfriend of 29 years of age. And I thought, if I were 29... And Al Pacino, 83-year-old Al Pacino, wanted to put a baby in me, I would want to ring on it. Like, it's the girlfriend part that's so insulting to me. I'm like, and I don't want to be that person that goes, oh, Zach Braff's older than Florida Pugh, they shouldn't be dating. Like, she doesn't know who she is or what she wants. I think, I think he was a perfectly appropriate boyfriend for her. I think he's probably quite immature and she's grown up. That's fine. But there's a difference between someone in their 40s and someone in their late 20s. And somebody who is, let me just check... 83, expecting child with girlfriend, 29. I mean, wouldn't you just say, at least have the decency to throw me a fucking wedding? (laughs) Like, Jesus. Like, what is the security in that? Because honestly, not to be rude, but like... My main grievance is that I think Al Pacino is the kind of guy that would say he wants a little mini-me. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) 
Give me like a say hello to my little friend. Um, yes, yeah. Guys, that was a fucking wonderful joke. You're all thick. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I get it. It's, it's like, could you explain it with these glasses? Yep. Um, I'm a feminist, but once I thought lesbians about some passing lesbians, but I didn't just think it, I accidentally shouted it at them. <laughs> was it tonight at the front of the sofa um, theatre? Yeah, there was a lot of them around, which it would have been fine if they thought I was just another strolling lesbian. We could have um, sort of waved at each other like passing bus drivers. Um, <laughs> but I think they thought I was a man, so it looked like I'd just done a hate crime. Oh! Oh! Yeah. I don't, I don't, th I think, I think you look like a lesbian. <laughs> Wow, Deborah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I don't. I mean, well, look. If you shouted lesbian at me, I would not be offended at all. I'd be delighted I'll and thrilled. I'll do it later yeah, when I'm, I'm explaining the upside. I'd, I'd be delighted and thrilled that you thought I was one of your number. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, the glasses are doing some heavy lifting. from Soho Theatre in London. The hello, 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 Soho Theatre. Isn't it lovely to be back out? I'm still not over it. Because we had two years, didn't we? Where we not that we didn't do feminism, we just didn't do it outdoors. And here we are, look, able, I'm able to touch you now legally. I'd, sorry, I probably should have asked for consent because that's still a thing. Uh, that didn't go away after the pandemic. Um, is it okay if I touch you? Good retrospective consent there. That's not what. That's not how you should do it. That's this is why we call it the guilty feminist. Um, just give us a cheer if you listen to the podcast. Give us a cheer if you don't know where you're at. Oh, more people than usual. Um, usually there's a couple of little. And I always sort of say, oh, notice those cheers sound less empowered, less feminist. But tonight, no. Uh, there's, a, there's an army of people here who don't know the podcast and don't give a fuck. And very happy with the feminism, how they found it. And they're all right and they don't need it. Um, just give us a cheer if you don't listen, if you've never listened to the podcast. Woo! Yes, you don't, you, you've never listened. Uh, I, I don't... I, 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 don't, don't, I don't want to impose a gender on you. Are you, in fact, a man? Yes. You are, in fact, a man? Okay. Uh, and don't, you, didn't say, you don't need to say, no, sorry. Like, I'm going to go, ooh, you're bad, you're a man. Get out. We don't like men in, around these parts. That's not what's going to happen. Look at me, I'm in gold sandals. The bows on those are practically flirtatious. What's your name? Uh, David. 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 What made you come? Or should I say, who made you come? Uh, my friend, Daisy. You, your friend, Daisy? Thought you could learn something? Oh, yes. Yes, that's, that, I know that because she sat you up the front. <laughs> do you listen, Daisy? You do. And what, what made you think David would be a good companion? <laughs> this isn't a date, is it? No. This is not, all right, it's very quick. <laughs> Quite rude, rude to Daisy, I would say. You should be looking at her like, is it? Could it, could it be? She, she, she had a date with Polly last night. She had a date with Polly last night. I'm so sorry, I'm a feminist, but I have assumed her sexual orientation. So David, like Beckham, and Daisy, like... Who? 
someone you know. It's not very helpful for me, is it? It's not very helpful for me. It's not very helpful for me. So Daisy, like someone you know. And so if I need to remember David, I'll think Beckham. If I need to remember your name, I'll just look at you. And I'll go, what's the name of the person you know? Now you're gonna have to remember out of all the people you know, which person it is. So as long as we've got that cast iron system, I think we're, I think we're away for a grand, grand night. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in the makeup of the audience because I've discovered that my audience breaks into pretty much three kinds of people, almost exclusively. Uh, one, people who work in some kind of social service role uh, with some kind of feminist bent. Uh, two, people who work in literacy. Uh, three, people who are doing a PhD on Virginia Woolf. <laughs> There's always somebody. Is anyone in doing a PhD on Virginia Woolf tonight? No one. Oh, yes, one, one. one. Who just went woo, but late? Oh, you were so shocked that no one in the audience was doing a PhD on Twitter. Is anyone doing a PhD on anything? Was that, was that somebody going woo? But sadly, like their PhD isn't going well. They're thinking of dropping out. Anyone? No. Okay, well, this is an unusual audience. Okay. I just need you to know that. There's normally, anyone got a PhD? Just go woo. Yes. Last night there were loads. Last night about two thirds of the audience had a PhD. Tonight, what? Do you, one of you? You're all lesbians. Is that a, is that a job now? Is that a job or a formal? Is that a formal qualification? Is that a formal qualification like Master of Sapphic Studies? What was that? Yeah, no, no, you travel in herds, I see that. It's... <laughs> Daisy. <laughs> Was one of these women the one you were out with the other night? Polly, Polly. Funnily enough, I can remember Polly's name. She's not even here. <laughs> you came here last night with Polly? Yeah, to your show. You're a double-nighter. Oh, Daisy. You're double-nighters as well. Excellent. Oh, I'm, I'm so thrilled. Thank you so much for coming back. Can you just back me up? There were loads of PhDs last night, wasn't there? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure you're doing other important things. I don't have a PhD and will never have one because I'm just not interested. In PhDs are about such a tiny thing always, aren't they? They're sort of, they're never about this. They're always about, eh. And you have to do, eh, for like for seven years. Then no one cares or reads it. I don't understand it. I don't understand. Like, I mean, if you want to do one, then you should absolutely do it. But don't talk to me about it. Now, who reckons? Who reckons they've got a feminist job? Just give us a cheer. Yes? You think, oh, somebody's, somebody's got an important job because they're getting a phone call right now. They're a doctor or something important. Someone's calling them. It's, oh, a feminist superhero style person. Feminism. You're needed to do feminism somewhere. Uh, you reckon you've got a feminist job? Who, what's yours? I work for Liberty. You work for Liberty? Oh, yeah. Human rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We've had them, we've had them on the podcast. You work for Liberty. Anyone think they do a more feminist job than working for Liberty? Just give us a cheer. No, you're, you, we can't have found the most feminist person in the room that quickly. <laughs> Anyone else got a feminist job? Give us a cheer. She has. You'd be good in a police state, wouldn't you? <laughs> She's under the floorboards. <laughs> uh, what do you do? Um, actually, I, I, I'm in wine. You're in wine? Yes. Feminist in my book. <laughs> 
wanted to fight the patriarchy without a nice Chardonnay at the end of the day. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. It's thirsty work. It, you're in wine. I've got, a, I've got a spare mic for you here because I think this is going to need more explanation. Okay, hi. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Libby. Libby. Yeah. Great. And tell us more about the feminist wine. Uh, well, wine is very male-dominated, despite being drunk by more women, bought by more women in the world. It's a hugely male-dominated industry. I'm one of the few women in any press uh, tastings, uh, and generally it's pale male and stale. I think is the phrase that's generally used. That's not the if wine. If any of my colleagues are here, uh, I think you're great. Yeah. Um, are, there any, are there any male wine workers in... I don't know what you're called. Sort of, is anyone working in the wine industry who is in fact a man person? Just give us a cheer. No, I thought the chance of that were going to be incredibly slim as there are only four men here and they're all frightened to talk. So, go on. Um, yeah, so I, um, I go into wine. I have a page in a city paper called Wine Without the Snobbery and I get a lot of trolling because fine wine is generally drunk by men. So, you, so it's called Wine Without the Snobbery? It's my and, page. And yeah. men are angry about that? Very angry. And they come on and they troll you and they go, they how dare you talk about wine when you're not even a man human? I do have a vagina and that does mean I cannot drink nice wine. Wow. I should you are only right. drink Prosecco. Actually, I am drinking Prosecco. It's very nice. It's very nice. It's actually lovely. Okay. All right. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for representing women in I wine. For, and, wi- and we will all, is there any wine that we should be drinking as feminists? Are there any more wine? All fucking wine. But also, like, uh, wine, that, wine that's made by women. Uh, look for female winemakers, because there's you, not a lot of them. Right. Have you got a, a name for a female winemaker we should be drinking? Uh, Marta Fridays, Alberino. Um, like, oh, Are you writing this down? I don't see anyone yeah. with a pen. <laughs> no one's going to remember this. Okay, well, we should re- read your column, which is called Why Without Snobbery. What's your name again? Libby Brody. Libby Brody. City AM wine columnist. City AM co- wine columnist. Now you can play. Who thinks they've got an unfeminist job? Give us a cheer. Okay, more people tonight. This is the first time it's ever happened. First time. You think you've got an unfeminist job? What's your job? Trainee solicitor. But you've said that like you're dead inside. <laughs> You look like Hayley Atwell, but then when you speak, you're like trainee solicitor. You know, if you're only training, you can stop. You don't have to keep going. If it's killing you to this extent, you don't have to keep going. Why are you doing it? Because um, I thought I want a challenging job, and um, it is challenging, but it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's from another solicitor. Is that from another solicitor? It's challenging, but shit. Yeah. That might be challenging in the wrong way. Could you do, could you do, like, a feminist legal role? Could you do something for women? And there's another sister saying, no, you couldn't. Why couldn't you? Because <laughs> Oh, you're barristers? It's even worse. Okay. Partner in law firm can confirm. Partner in law firm can confirm. Just leave after the end of the training. Leave at the end of the training. Okay, so we should all go into wine, I think is what we've learnt. Leave law and head for wine. But it sounds like if you're in law, you will end up in wine, but in the wrong way. That's what I'm hearing. Um, All right, well, listen, thank you very much for your contributions thus far. Um, I think it's time to start the podcast. If you don't know what a podcast is, it's radio that nobody stops you making. 
That's why women do it so often. The normal channels are, of course, often closed down to us. Uh, so tonight will be recorded. So if you laugh, you'll hear it later when you listen to the podcast. Uh, if you don't follow the podcast yet, if you don't subscribe, or in fact, if you've never listened to it, why not? And uh, if you could hit the subscribe button, apparently that helps the algorithm or something I don't care about, but other people do. Uh, so please, if you could do that, that would be lovely. Uh, just give us a cheer if you subscribe. Just give us a cheer if you're yet to do that, David. <laughs> Excellent. But you will be doing that now, David, otherwise you won't hear yourself on the podcast. So that'll be, it's important that you do now, David. Excellent. What do you do for a living, David? Uh, feminist or non-feminist first? Middle, neither feminist nor non-feminist. What is it? Uh, I work in nature conservation. Nature conservation? That's incredibly feminist. Where are women going to live if not the world? <laughs> you know that we're humans and we breathe oxygen. We're very keen on the world turning and all of the species being here so we don't go underwater. We love nature conservationists. David, that's so feminist. And also lots of those little animals that you save, they're lady ones. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what animals do you save? Uh, I just work on rivers in general. Rivers? Yeah. Fish. No, people. The, the, sort of like the four lesbians in one go went, fish. Like, that. like a girl band. Did you not? You did all do that, didn't you? I wasn't me imagining that. All just went, fish. Daisy said beavers. Daisy said beavers. Is that you being hilarious? Um, well, is that the thing she really save or no? All of oh, those yeah, things. Come on now, it's a sophisticated show. You haven't come out for smart. You clearly have, but... Okay, well, David, maybe you could tell us more about that later. Daisy, what do you do? The Red Cross. See, loads of people in here do have feminist jobs. They just didn't call out tonight. Um, so uh, we'll, we, might, we might come back to you later if you've got anything to say. In the meantime, we should get on with the podcast. So please, clap your hands, stamp your feet and break laws if necessary to welcome the incredible Chloe Pitts. You sit there, Chloe. Okay, Chloe... Um, Where's the fucker that doesn't listen to the podcast? <laughs> Chloe, can, can we make him download it right now? Uh, oh, no, he's in conservation and he saves beavers and fish. Fuck that guy. No. I don't like him. I don't like him one bit. He's, no, he's come out tonight. Though he didn't know the podcast, he said to his friend, Daisy, who apparently he had no expectation of any kind of sex with, let's be honest. Um, I was trying to find a nice way of saying it. I thought, no, I'm just going to cut to the chase. He came out with his friend, Daisy, definitely not a date, because she wanted to come to a feminist podcast. He said, I'll support that. I don't trust him. I don't trust him. No, all I heard was a man mansplaining beavers and fish to lesbians. That's all I heard. David, she doesn't mean it. She's just teasing you. No one believes that, do they? No one believed that. There was just deadly silence after that. It's my whole mission in life now to make sure you and David have a drink in the bar and become really, really bonded. I just... No, I think I've realised that what happens is whenever I'm on stage, like, for me to succeed, I need an adversary. And it could be the nicest man you've ever met in your whole entire life, but I will... Just for this 
sort of 90 minutes fucking hate him with all my heart <laughs> poor David I think he's lovely I think he's wonderful I think he's fantastic I think he's one of the best men I've ever heard anything from but I'm sorry David you're just going to have to take the full mate can't we can't we find a worse man to, to is there a worse it man it would be here? a pleasure there is, this table again this table again is there a worse man in who who clo- maybe not in this room but oh no there's definitely worse men in the world <laughs> Putin for yeah. a Putin, start. Putin, Putin I mean, off the top of my head. Boris Johnson off the top of my head. Like, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's a raft of work. I just meant, is there someone in there? Is there a man in the room who thinks, poor David, he's out there saving the fish. It should be me. You know, is there anyone else? Is there a man who, who would enjoy being a worthy adversary for Chloe Petz? There's a man laughing. <laughs> a bit like an evil genius. Is there a man who wants to do that? No, okay. <laughs> Chloe, yes. unsurprisingly, not one man has volunteered himself as tribute <laughs> in this particularly uh, 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 you know, uh, comedic Hunger Games. Let's call it a comedic Hunger Games. So, David, um, because you are up for saving nature and the nature of Chloe's comedy is needing a male foil, are you up for this? You are. Oh, he's so lovely. He's so lovely. Can I see him? Where are you? How can I? What a nice man. Oh God, you're delightful. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Once you've looked into his eyes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because I can normally, I can normally rib men. You know, it's fun. It's good natured. I'm never mean, but you know, I. Well, I have been once, but uh, I, I'm, I, once I met a Jehovah's Witness elder in Brighton, previous, and that was hard. It was really, really hard uh, not to really go there, but I yeah. did pull back at some point because I just felt myself, you know, going, just teaching over. He loved it. He tweeted about it later. He loved it. But once I've looked into David's eyes, there's no chance. He's the nicest man. He's so lovely, but I could fuck him up. Um, okay, all right. <laughs> all right, with Chloe. Yes. Tonight's theme is pivoting because we are talking to the incredible Laura Lex about her book Pivot and that's about uh, women who've had something happen in their life and they've had to pivot. Mm. What do you think of when I say the word pivot to you? Well, actually, I've been having some sort of... I'm thinking of physically sort of pivoting of the joints um, because I've had very tight little hip flexors recently (laughs) and I've had to undergo... (laughs) Yes, I am flirting with you all. Um, no, I've, I've had to undergo some physio to sort of loosen the pivots of my hip flexors. That's not what we meant at all when we said pivot. You're literally talking about your joints won't pivot. They won't pivot properly. Are you, really? Genuinely. Have you, have you been to a physiotherapist? Yeah, I've been said... to a physio- physiotherapist and he pulled my leg back and gasped. <laughs> that my really? hip flexors are that tight. Yeah. Wow. So you, you, are you doing a lot of yoga kind of pigeon now? I do, yeah, I did, I did a pigeon today. It's quite hard to get into a pigeon. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's to get the knee at the right angle. I find it impossible to get the knee at a right angle. My knee goes down a bit, but it's, it's very good for the hip. And the way that they sort of um, flip you into it, you know? They don't flip you into a pigeon. Oh, you do it yourself. No, you I do it yourself. You it's yoga. Who flips you into it? That's not yoga. That's professional wrestling. You're doing the wrong thing. No one flips you into anything in yoga. Deborah, I, I tell you, Brittany on a Friday class, she, that woman, that woman, the way she flips around, and she just expects us all to do it. She would just be like, and then, you know, downward dog into this, and then, and then your pigeon, and they've just done some kind of horrid gymnastic move, and I'm just like in knots groaning. Yeah. <gasps> 
Wow. Knott's Groening sounds like a lovely area. Probably <laughs> quite up and, up and coming. But probably somewhere you can still afford a semi. Do you know what I mean? So it sounds like Knott's Groening. She's moved out of London down to Knott's Groening, but it's really commutable. Um, when I think of Pivot, I think of Ross from Friends going, Pivot! Pivot! Um, but I, I had to think about it hard tonight because I was thinking, I really do want to talk about pivoting because I think it is, it's, it's something, we all have pivoted at some point into mm. feminism. Mm. Um, and, I mean, assuming we identify as feminists. Some people might be here and not identify as feminists, but you presumably feel something about equality and you want the world to be fairer. Um, anyone here not identify as a feminist? David, please don't say. <laughs> David, do you identify as a feminist? Yeah, yeah, thank God. Oh, I would have jumped down there, Deborah. Yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> David knows that too, so whether or not he identifies that way, and I really think he does. <laughs> I've scared him into being a feminist. And yeah. What is feminism if not that? <laughs> Mild threat. Well, not that, not scroning. Now, um, at some point, you're not born a feminist, are you? Like, at some point, you go, hold on a minute, things aren't right or fair. But I also think women often have to pivot a lot in life because things like when people have babies it's often women, or other people who can have babies, who get sort of stuck with all of... The, I mean, not stuck with, people enjoy their babies. Sorry, that sounds wrong. Bur if you've had a baby burdened. and you're enjoying being burdened with it, I'm so... I, I, <laughs> if you're enjoying the fact that a parasite is living inside of you and coming out and feeding off you like a sci-fi, if that's fun for you... No, I, I'm sure many people adore having babies. And that's... So I'm not saying... I don't mean it like that, but I mean often the responsibility and the emotional labour and all of that means that they have to pivot their, their career to mm. kind of fit both of those things in. And then I think a lot of the other stuff falls to us, like thank you notes. When has a man ever sent a thank you note unless he was gay? Never. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, in the history of the world, unless a man has been told to do it, I don't believe... Men, if there's a couple, I think women... If you're in a couple... Who says thank you for a dinner party if you're in a heterosexual couple, if it's the woman who sends a thank you note or follow-up text or something like that, Shia? Yeah. If anybody is in a relationship where it is the man who does it and there is only one man in the relationship, Shia? Yeah. Really? What the fuck? <laughs> okay, can you, you, are you in a relationship with a man? I am. And is that the man who sends the thank you? Oh, okay, so we found one. Was there another one? Woo, okay. They could barely woo. They need a man to come in and woo for them. <laughs> what? I mean, why am I asking you why? That's good. I, this is my point. Excellent news. I think that's still, like, quite a small proportion. Oh, yeah, but I was, a, I was about to interrogate those women and go, what? why? And that's not the right thing, is it? No, I absolutely be going, not. Great, as long as one of you's doing it, that's absolutely fine. But immediately, that is how coded it is in my mind yeah. that a woman does the emotional labour. Because I don't... Like, that kind of extra stuff that you have to do. Like, if we were going to a birthday party, my husband would never, never, never go, have we got a present for them? Right. Is it wrapped? Do we need to stop on the way and pick up a card? It's never once happened. But even if it was his friend... I'd be doing all of that. I would be getting the card. He would just go, well, I'm showing up. That's the present enough. What would, what would happen if you just refused to do it? Well, I wouldn't. Ah. Uh, 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 uh. Therein lies the problem. No, I see that. But I have been socially conditioned to think somebody's got to be nice. Yeah. It's got to be one of us. It's not going to be him, is it? Could you ask him nicely? Oh, could he? Yeah, but he, he, then he'd say he forgot. 
Oh, I see. No, but no, he does many things. He does lots more than me in terms of bill paying and all of that sort of stuff. He just doesn't think those things are necessarily necessary. Anyway, the point I'm making is not to go down the alley of, you know, whether or not Tom Selinsky sends thank you cards, but more, which he doesn't, but more, (laughs) and never has and never will, but more. Um, Tom, am I right about this? Tom? He's not even bothered to show up, he's the producer. Um, There he is, he gets right of reply. Hi. Yeah. Do you, have you ever sent a thank you card? I'm sure at least once. <laughs> have you ever taken anyone a birthday present wrapped with a card to a birthday party that I didn't buy and wrap? D- do you count? <laughs> he does do mine, he does do mine. That's the one a year. Imagine if he got you to do them for yourself. It's a great deal, though, for him, because he does one a year, and then he doesn't have to do any of the others. That's a good deal, isn't it? I'm just saying, when, we, when something big happens, we've got all of that as well. And so I just think it's good to talk about how we pivot and how sometimes we have to leave some things behind in order to pivot if something big happens to us. Now, um, this is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities, which... Them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Chloe Pitts, and we're talking about pivoting. Woo! Would you like to hear some stand-up comedy? Yeah! Then please welcome to the stage the incredible Chloe Pitts. Shit. <laughs> For the, for the podcast reasons. The update that I need to give you is that I started going to therapy again, um, which, yeah, exactly. It's 100% not something we should take the piss out of. I think everyone should go to therapy if they can access it, if they can afford it, um, especially men with mental health podcasts. Um. <laughs> Those fuckers are hiding something and it's definitely in plain sight. Um but I've had three therapists now, not because I'm a bad client or because they're bad therapists. Um, I think it's because I don't want any one of them knowing too much. Um, and I didn't realise, I didn't realise, like, I don't have a type in women, but I do have a type in therapists, and all of my therapists have been um, old, butch lesbians. And I think it's because secretly, on a subterranean level, I think one of them must be me from the future. <laughs> coming back to warn me about something. Um, but what the therapist said to me, the therapist said to me, um, the first therapist said to me, she said, I think you've got some issues with anger. Right? And that really fucking pissed me off. <laughs> so I sacked her and then I went um, to the second therapist and uh, she was like, yeah, I think you've got some um, problems with anger. Um, so I um, uh, referred her to the British Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy. Um, <laughs> And then I went to the third therapist um, and um, I was basically like, these two therapists have said I'm fucking angry. I can't believe they're fucking angry. And I was like, okay, I see. I see what's happened here. Yeah, I'm very angry. I I owe a couple of therapists a couple of apologies. Um, But I just, I didn't think I could be an angry person because I've spent so much of my stand-up career sort of learning how to um, contain that anger and present things in a sort of polite a packaged way, and I, I think I come across as quite like a laid-back person. Sorry, David. Um, <laughs> but it just means that I'm a multifaceted person, right? There's loads of different layers to me. For example, I'm the sort of person uh, that both looks like I read books and like I bully people for reading books. You know? <laughs> 
Um, and I've, I've realised I've realised that people I think um, they don't like it when you're multifaceted. I don't think they like it when you're more than one thing. I think they want you to be morally consistent. And I know this uh, because I'm a vegetarian uh, that does eat meat. Uh, have we got any vegetarians in? Yeah, I thought we might. Yeah, you're a vegetarian. Have we got any vegans in? Wow. Okay. Usually they're too weak to cheer. Um, <laughs> where my meat eaters at? Oh, so you're a vegetarian and you're a meat eater too? I'm a vegan who eats meat. Yeah. You're a vegan who eats meat. People get fucked off with us, right? They get because I think they really, as I say, they really want morally consistent, moral consistency. They want you to be one thing. Um, so people will get really mad at me. They'll be like, "Oh, you're, well, you're not, you're not a vegetarian then. You're not a vegetarian at best. You're a flexitarian." Uh, but why I say to these very sort of angry, angry, belligerent people is this: uh, I spent my late teens, early twenties, sucking a penis once a financial quarter. Okay. <laughs> It did not make me straight. It's the same principle. <laughs> Whoever groaned at that, you calling yourself a feminist? Uh, so my anger, it comes out in the sort of most tame, banal ways. Like, I don't, I don't drive, but I get a really bad case of pavement rage. Um, <laughs> you fuckers haven't learned how to walk down the street politely. I, 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 just think, I just think, grow up. I just think, come on, everybody. Like, just learn how... I, there were two years. There were two years where all we were allowed to do was go on a state-sanctioned walk, right? <laughs> and you guys still fuck out. The other day, I was walking down the street. There were five friends walking together. They were walking five abreast. <laughs> like they were scanning the moors for a murder victim. <laughs> I couldn't fucking believe it. And there's no protocol. You don't know what to do when someone's fucking you off in the street. So I just I had to take the moral high ground and I didn't say anything and I just shoulder barged the mall. <laughs> it really pisses me off. And I get so angry. I get so angry about all this very diff various different stuff. Um, the one that I also get really pissed off about is um, uh, people that play music out loud on the bus, on their phone. It fucks me up. I would say I am more compassionate to serial killers than I am to those people. <laughs> Because I'll watch all these murder documentaries and I'll be like, oh God, isn't it a shame that that person has such an awful childhood and they grow up to be this, this terrible monster and, and obviously it doesn't excuse any of the atrocities that they did, but I wish we could have had something different for this poor, tiny child, you know, this broken child. Whereas when I got onto the bus and I see someone playing music out loud through their phone, I think, well, I guess some people are just born evil, right? <laughs> on my wick it gets on my wick but my, my therapist said that I need to start learning to be a little bit more compassionate to these people because that's the way I'm going to get over my anger I'm going to have to start looking at these situations with a bit more nuance so what I try and do is I try and um, I try and sort of look at them and I go do you know what like maybe this person has been attacked by society and uh, they, when they sort of go into a public space they want to assert their dominance right it's a sort of attack or be attacked mentality you know or maybe this person they've never been listened to before so they don't perceive that any noise that they make could be a problem to the people around them because they don't perceive of them as a noise in general or you know maybe they're a six-foot lesbian who forgot to turn on their bluetooth headphones <laughs> and are now playing a murder podcast out loud <laughs> to the top deck of the i did this the other day i do this all the time i've become one of these people that i hate oh, the other day i forgot to turn my bluetooth headphones on playing the murder podcast out loud it's still technically being a global pandemic what i then did is i reached into my rucksack to get out a bottle of antibacterial hand gel uh, unbeknownst to me i had not packed a bottle of antibacterial hand gel i indeed packed a bottle of lube um, <laughs> Now, 
I don't know if you've ever seen a six foot lesbian sat on the top deck of a bus listening to a murder podcast out loud <laughs> while she lubes off her hands <laughs> and stares into the middle distance. Thomas, mate, you look like a very brazen serial killer who I would be incredibly compassionate to. But the final thing, the final thing I'll say, the, the people that get on my nerves are, are men that man spread widely on trains. I think it's, it's just awful, isn't it? Um, so what I'll always do is I'll sit down and I'll man spread as widely back as I can. And, and last summer I had the perfect, the perfect opportunity to sort of get back at a man who was manspreading because I got on, it was a very hot day so I was wearing shorts, he was wearing shorts, he was, he was manspreading, there was a space next to him so I went and um, sat on it, sat in it and um, I sort of, yeah, manspread back and, and then what I did is I sort of startly, started uh, gently rubbing my leg <laughs> against him, thus emasculating him because he realises that I have far more leg hair than he does. <laughs> and then our leg hair sort of starts intertwining <laughs> Um, and it kind of plats together and then we're sort of, you know, inextricably bound to each other and it was, who was going to give him first? Well, it wasn't going to be me, so I rode him down to the end of the line, took him to my home, uh, where he now lives as my manslave. Um, that's actually how I met David. Um, you guys are amazing. Thank you so much. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. We've got some live shows coming up and we would love you to be there. Tonight, Monday the 5th of June, Alison Spittle and I will be talking to science journalist Priya Joy and NHS nurse and Professor of Medical Humanities, Chrissy Watson. That's at King's Place at 7pm in London. And we have more shows at King's Place on the 22nd of June and the 24th of July and Soho Theatre on the 11th and 12th of August. And on Sunday the 9th of July, we'll be at the Turner Gallery in Margate recording an episode from 12.45pm. For tickets, go to guiltyfeminist.com and click on Live Shows. A play that I wrote... Never Have I Ever is at Chichester Festival Theatre on the 1st to the 30th of September and tickets are on sale now and going fast. Go to cft.org.uk and look for Never Have I Ever. It stars our very own Susan McComer and also Alexandra Roach, Amit Shah and Greg Wise. And on the 21st of August, there will be a special episode of the podcast from Chichester where I'll be talking about the show. Join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes and to support the show. And if you could subscribe or follow on wherever you get your podcasts, that'll really help other people find the show. Don't forget to tell someone else you know who might enjoy listening. You could even WhatsApp them or tell them with your face. And now, back to the podcast. 
Our guest today is an award-winning comedian, writer and actor who has had four critically acclaimed stand-up shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, her most recent two, Trying and Knee Jerk, both received multiple five-star reviews and won her best performer in the Comedian's Choice Awards two years in a row. She's also appeared widely on TV and radio and published her first book, Clop, actually, in 2020. And her next book, Pivot, is out now on Kindle and in hardback, and it will come out in paperback on the 23rd of June. Please welcome to the mic the incredible Laura Lex. Thank you so much, Laura. You actually came to my attention when you were doing Clop on Twitter. Yeah. On the Twitter. Uh, can you just briefly explain what that was and why it was so funny? Yeah, funny and embarrassing, isn't it? Um, uh, well, what happened was, it was just before the pandemic, the week before lockdown happened in the UK, I was in Glasgow, and I don't know if you remember that bit when nobody really knew what a lockdown meant. So I was like, will I live in Glasgow if this happens? <laughs> like, I genuinely was like, will we be allowed back on trains? So, um, and I couldn't get hand sanitizer or a mask, so I didn't want to leave the hotel room. So instead I sort of fantasised about Jurgen Klopp being my husband. Um... <laughs> publicly as you do you know because it was an ibis so you're not gonna <laughs> that's just logical isn't it um and i think there was nothing on the internet that weekend except like oh god we're all gonna die and hey Jurgen Klopp's a bit sexy and sensible isn't it i think it was the only happy thing but happening it, it was it was this funny thing about how you were uh, excited about how sensible he was yeah he's very sensible so i'd seen this press release i didn't know who he was until i saw this press release that um, somebody said to him, like, when do you think the pandemic will be over? And he just sort of went, like, why are you asking me? I'm a football manager. Ask somebody that knows the answer. Don't ask me for my best guess and then publish that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, who the fuck is this? (laughs) Who is this giving up a chance to hear the sound of their own voice and instead handing, like... It, it was he so sensible, I slipped off the bed. Like, was, <laughs> um, I bet he could explain the offside rule to us. Yeah. I mean, um, that's because if you asked him that, he would say, sure. <laughs> he would say, that is, that is very much up my alley, he'd say. Or he'd say, but Deborah, why do you need to know? Uh, would he? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> No, it's just difficult for me um, listening to people that don't know anything about football talking about football and sort of um, not jumping in at every every moment. But I know that that's the wrong thing to do because people don't like pedants. And Is that one of the be. positions? <laughs> this is going to be a very tough half an hour for me. Um, now you've written a book called Pivot, which is a wonderful novel, which yeah. I am halfway through and I'm enjoying it very, very much. Um, can you tell us the, the top line of Pivot? Can you, give it, can you tell the audience what it's about? It's about a women's netball team formed of women who would rather do anything than play netball. <laughs> but they've all reached a point in their lives where netball appears to be their only option for <laughs> some sort of escape from whatever they've tunnelled themselves into life-wise, you know? Could you read us a bit of it so that everyone gets the the context? So I'm not going to go for chapter one. I'm going to go for chapter five, just to throw you all in the middle of the game. Um, So, oh, and I need my glasses. I'm a feminist, but I hate wearing my glasses on stage. There we go. Right. 
am I all right? Am I all right? He had the audacity to waltz back into my house and ask me six weeks after walking out on me to go and live with the woman he's been having an affair with. Am I all right? That's what he asks. He's got the nerve to stand there in the doorway looking at me with his head on one side, wondering why I'm angry with him. Looking at me with that stupid expression like, why are you overreacting, Jack? Jack, it was a mild enough question. I just want to know where my golf clubs are. Looking at me like I'm the problem. No, Steve. No, Steve, I'm not all right. Don't you dare ask me whether I'm all right when you're here looking for golf clubs instead of an apology. How could he possibly be wanting to play golf? Golf? What even is golf? I hate golf. I hate him. Oh, I miss him. (laughs) She would scream all of this at Roz later across their favourite booth near the fireplace in the Hawk. There in the kitchen, though, she sat frozen, staring icily at him. I'm fine, was all she managed. He hesitated. An entire marriage between them on the worktop. He swallowed. Okay, he nodded and turned to head back out to the garage. Steve? The word lurched up her throat and landed on the back of her tongue, threatening to choke her if she didn't let it out after him. Yeah? He turned back, one hand casually on the doorframe, looking like he owned the place. She supposed technically he still did. What's her name? Didn't I? No, no, you didn't. Michelle. It's Michelle. Okay. Jackie turned and went up to the bathroom, the only lockable door in the house. She sat on the closed lid of the toilet and waited for the intense stomachache to pass. Her ears followed his noises round the house and garden and she felt like she didn't let a breath out until she heard his car leaving the driveway 30 minutes later. Ross handed her another glass of wine. Ah, fuck him, she said. Fuck him and fuck her too. Um. So, firstly, can I ask you about the origin of Pivot? Like, uh, when did you come up with this story? I came up with it a few years ago. Um, I was gigging, and there was um, a a group of women in on a netball social, and I was like, holy shit, grown adults still choose to play that game. That's insane. Um, And and then, so... I started like improvising some stuff about netball and, and it got such, such a wild reaction from the crowd. And then I turned it into some proper stand-up and everywhere I do it, you, I just watched everybody that had been forced to play this game <laughs> losing it at the... Like, because when you start remembering the rules, do you remember there were only three legit ways to throw the ball? <laughs> like, and the boys learned football and became millionaires and we were forced to learn it. And then at 16, everybody just went, oh, you'll never learn... No, you never need that again. Go away. <laughs> And I just thought, this is insanity. So, but then I started to think, I was like, God, it's getting such a reaction, like this netball, there's something in it. And then I started to imagine, like, imagine if we could get every single comedy actress in the same show, like all playing netball again, like Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders, you know, y- y- Nina Sassania, like everybody, in, like, you know, playing all the netball teams and stuff. So I wrote it as a TV show um, and, uh, and, and sort of followed this team of, like, you know, what, one Jackie's husband walks out on her and she just suddenly goes, oh, shit, what do I do now? Like, she's retired and, and doesn't really know what her life is. And then I thought, you know, there's a, a character who's struggling, she's got four kids, and she's like, I just have to be somewhere where I'm not a mother for 20 minutes a week. And, and there's a doctor who lives in the area but never really wanted to socialise, you know, because she's seen everybody's bits. So, <laughs> gross, you're not going to go to the pub with them, are you? And I thought, like, why, why do you need an escape from your life? And, and then you end up in netball. But nobody wanted to make the TV show because it was about women who weren't 22. Um, so I wrote it as a book. 
I'm really, really, really glad that you did because I, I know a number of women who have had this happen to them that they're in their 50s and their husband just walked out and left them for somebody younger or, more insultingly, left them for someone the same age. Oh. Yeah, that was, that was actually worse when that happened to a friend of mine. I a friend of mine and she was like, he didn't even have the decency. Because if it's someone younger, I can kind of understand it. I can yeah. get my head around it. I can go, well, I can't compete with that. When it's someone, he just doesn't like me. Yeah, it's, it's 100% my personality. Yeah, she was livid at that. And uh, if you're going to leave, and this is, you know, rule for life, David. If you're going to leave, at least leave for someone younger. Um, I don't know anything about your personal life, David, and I'm not going to pry, but just, could you just promise me that? Thank you, great. Uh, don't turn against David. He's just doing the, what he thinks is going to get him, me to move off him, and that's fair enough. Now, um, I just suddenly thought, there's no, it's the only sport where I think there's no men's version. So I looked up men's netball, and it says, on the club, national, interla- international level, men's netball team exist. That's what it says on Wikipedia. Exist. Um, because men get to play basketball, which I always wanted to play basketball at school, school because it was much more fun with the dribbling and stuff. But they wouldn't let anyone bounce anything in netball, and I didn't like that. Um, yeah, but, women, women aren't coordinated enough to bounce and throw. We had right. to have one thing. Choose yeah. it, choose, yeah. choose. Um, You've but got three, three seconds to think about your throw, and then you make it. Yeah, but there was always that thing of, like, you weren't allowed to move either. You yeah, exactly. To, you couldn't travel. Like... Absolutely. It's yeah, because if you got the ball... You land on one foot and then you pivot with the other foot. That yeah. was the... Remember that? Landing foot and you'd be like, that foot, that's the one. Down. It, it says here that, um, that while the men's teams exist, it says on Wikipedia, it says they... Uh, but they attract less attention than women's netball. I didn't know anything could attract less attention. <laughs> Wow. Does it, is that the Olympics, Laura? No, it's not in the Olympics. No. What's but, the highest level you can play I, netball at? Well, you can play it internationally, but um, like I think it's we, I think we have the world's best team, but they still have day jobs because oh, it's so yeah, underfunded. Yeah. Like it's that kind. But it's only I think, and I might be wrong here, but I think it's only played in like countries that we colonised. So it's like Australia, Canada. I think are the only places you that really have how it. disappointing it would be to be colonised and then and now you've got to play netball. I will say though, I will say though, did somebody did somebody gasp when we said netball because they love it? And I don't want to diss netball if someone loves it. Do you love it? You do. I don't tell us what's good about netball. No, 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 no. Because I want to. I want. I. I think all women doing all sport is a wonderful thing. Why do you love it? Do you play it? Hello. <laughs> Do you said you do love it? Yeah, no, I do. You do, you do. So, no, do, do, you are on a team. Oh my God, you could be in the show. You could train the women on the show when this book's a hit and gets made into a show. Because did they say to you, Laura, because the lead in this is fifty-eight, and they said, would you be interested in making it with a with a twenty-two-year-old lead? They did say that, yes. And you said, well, I said, um, what did you say to that? I said no. But, but. <laughs> 
using some swear words. I think like a breakup at 22, it can be traumatic, can be life-changing, can be awful. I think it's very different to have had 30 years with somebody, to just be expecting to kind of wind down gracefully into death, which is what Jackie wanted, and then to suddenly be on your own. It's different, like, then. You know? Does anyone in their 50s think I'm going to wind down gracefully into well, death? Jackie did. I don't think that's what people are thinking. Jackie was I think just thinking I've got my best years ahead now because she the wasn't. kids have gone and I can just be myself and do all these wonderful things and I can travel and stuff. I don't think they're thinking I think that's wind what down. I'd be like and you'd be like, Jackie wasn't. Jackie wasn't like that. She was just like, oh, we've just done, we've done all the hard bits and now we just get to coast along and be together and then suddenly, yeah. boom, all that gone. Is, that is how, I like, there are women I know who husbands have left them in their 50s. They're like, this was meant to be the fun time where yeah. we're still young enough to go and do lots of good stuff. And then the kids are going to come home at Christmas and it's yeah. all going to be fun. Yeah. And now you've wrecked it. Yeah. And you haven't even had the decency to leave me for a younger woman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Jackie's like... She's not, like, representative of all women. She's just, just one woman who was, like... Mm happy just being in a bubble she was so happily oblivious to most stuff didn't really want to go out and explore the world or make new friends has four friends and they're fine like done didn't want to doesn't want to know what the house is worth to sell it up and divide it up like just what was completely happy in her world and then just had it obliterated and had to go oh no like I don't I feel like that so often when I'm like I don't want to try hard. <laughs> I just, please, nobody change anything because I'm yeah, very yeah, happy yeah. in a small do you, bubble. Do you know what feels slightly worse than that? And that's when you catch the ball rot and your finger bends back. Yeah. <laughs> How did you capture that, that phenomenon in the book of the, the finger bend back? The finger bend back will have to come in the sequel. I don't think I featured the finger bend back. I also oh. think, I would also like the bit featured where I think one of the greatest movements in sport is when you're um, goal defence and you defend like this. <laughs> is that in there? I do remember that. I remember, I remember a lot of name calling, but over here, over here, over here, I remember that. Right. If well, you what, position, what position were you playing? Wing defence. Wing defence, see, oh, you wouldn't Deborah. have been doing much of that. No, but I remember it. I remember it happening. Yeah, yeah. You would have been watching me do that from afar, just getting a little slight jab in as well. Yeah. I, I, in a very real way, I did nothing. I just stood on the court being angry I had to be there. Um, but listen, the person who said that they're in a team, please, um, please advocate for netball. Don't let us tell, tell you that it's not good. Um, I'm very happy you're here. Should we get someone on, on another show to tell us about why joining a netball team is good? A short show. I also, I also have this like real, um, <clears throat> this, this just like I think any sport is is really great and fun to get into. And I've recently got into bowling, and I'm really bad at bowling. But that's good for me because in all other aspects of my life, like I want to be really good and I want to be a perfectionist. And it's great just to have this place where I just go and like chuck a ball, and I don't really care whether it goes in the right place or not. It's very freeing. <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I feel like that about dance, because I, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, we all had to pivot. We all had to go, life as we know it is not now available, so mm. what are we going to do? And I uh, am a people person, so I found suddenly having no people available to me, mm. um, or I had Tom, but you know, no other people available to me was uh, challenging. And I, to say the least, I felt very like... 
Yeah. What am I going to do? Like, like, you know, panicked about that. And so I had this, this dance lesson every morning and I became so religious about it, like strangely religious about it, because I, I was like, that's the only thing I can control is for two hours in the morning, I do this. And it became a really important place to put any other anxiety I was feeling, I'm going to do this and I'm going to learn how to dance. And I didn't know how to dance at all. What kind and of dance? So, um, I was doing... <laughs> Just, it sounds like a bit of freestyle. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was like uh, show tunes. Like I learned a dance from Six, the musical. Great. Oh, yeah. And then I got cool. into tap. I still dance now. I don't go to the studio. You have to go to the studio to do tap because it's antisocial during the pandemic if you're on the top floor, which I am. <laughs> to sort of like, yeah, you, you can't know. just do it on carpet. N- well, no, and also the, uh, we have wooden floors, but the neighbours downstairs might have felt that was a bit of beyond the pale when they were not legally allowed to go out. But when you went down, knocked on, and gave them a, a grand performance, they were very grateful. <laughs> they were thrilled. They were thrilled. They were like, yes, please. Come in with your tap dancing in a, in a, in a terrace that's been chopped up into flats. Um, but yeah, that became very important. And I think that's what I got the feeling from the book, is sometimes you need somewhere physical mm. to put this stuff you need somewhere, you need an outlet. How do you feel about pivoting in your life, Laura? Is there any ways in which you've had to pivot that you kind of feel that as a woman, as a feminist, that you've had to sort of get it together and yeah. just make a big life change? I think in comedy, being a woman and not coming from money or any connections to the comedy industry, I don't think I've stopped pivoting. Because I learned how to do stand-up comedy. I got really good at it and everybody went, great. <laughs> can you go over there and do it? You're standing in the way of the people we want to put on TV. And you go, oh, all right then. So I had to learn to write a book and get good on Twitter. And then they go, oh, actually, can you put out short clips all over the internet? And you go, oh, all right, I'll learn to edit those and put those out. And then they go, oh, yeah, but you haven't got a podcast, have you? And that's what this person did. And you go, what you're asking me to do is pivot into being a white man that will say anything for attention. And I'm not... So I think I've never stopped pivoting with it all because it's just not good enough to just learn to be a great comedian make a banging tour show put it out I've done that for 15 years and everybody just goes what else can you do and you go oh I can hit you <laughs> like <laughs> so you never stop pivoting and the minute you master it they go that's lovely now this and you yeah. you just don't stop I think the same but I think do you know what I've, I've suddenly I've realised recently the strength in understanding how much we all adapt all the time. That's what human beings are good at, yeah. we adapt. And to just take stock sometimes and look back and go, 10 years ago, I couldn't have done any of this. 20 years ago, I couldn't have done any of this. Mm. We're constantly doing it. We don't realise that we are. But I think in the pandemic, we all saw it, it because yeah. it was dramatic. And we all went, well, in the first few weeks, it was terrifying. And then we just figured it out. And now we know if anything like that happened again, please God, let it not. But if anything, we, we would go, okay, we know how to do this. Yeah. And I think that's something we should take stock of more is I think we should, you know when you're growing up and your mum or dad or gran or whoever, well, you have to stand next to the pantry or something or a wall and they put little marks on the yeah. wall to see how far you've grown. I think we should have a feminist version of that marks on the wall to see how far we've grown because we don't notice we're doing it and we don't notice the power that we take all the time and the changes we have to make because life is so fast. I kind of do that. I keep a little note on my phone. I use a little to-do list app and I have a whole list of um, career goals 
but it keeps them once they're ticked off so I can still look at them. So there's things on there that, like, at one point I just wanted to do the Edinburgh Festival or, like, Guilty Feminist was on it and, and it was, like, sitting there for ages and then I tick it off because otherwise, like, now that I ha- I've been on the show before, so now I'm like, oh, this is just what I'm doing today instead of the, like, mm. big thing I'm ticking off. But you can look at that list and go, like, you know, I live in Brighton, my local gig's Comedia. At some point, all I wanted to do was play the main room in Comedia. Now I'll do a weekend there and just go, oh, it's just work this weekend but you can look at that list Mm. and physically see a list of things that are now blasé that used to be your goals and you you see that increment it's really helpful it's it's so true because like i have to remember like stuff like tonight this morning i was thinking oh i've got guilty feminist tonight at soho theater and that's just become like a normal place and it kind of feels like home now but this room was literally the room that i learned where to do stand-up in and i couldn't stand up for two minutes and do jokes without like losing it I didn't have anything they were all shit and it's yeah it's just really they were honestly fucking there's there's a there's a video somewhere dark on the internet (laughs) of me doing my first gig on this stage oh we must find it I I watched it with Olga Koch and I nearly threw up. <laughs> Please don't find it. Okay, I will leave it. I will leave it. Well, I will, but I won't tell you that I found it. That's, that's the, the weird thing is, the Guilty Feminist itself is a massive pivot because I had the same situation as you, Laura, where I was doing shows and I'd got my, first, my second show ever had got a tour mm. and it was all going really well and I was building an audience and it was just not good enough and I remember I got my own Radio 4 show and uh, I wrote off because my agent had dropped me explicitly for being a woman which is illegal (laughs) but if it was if you were in a law firm and someone said well we don't want women here and he said it that in those terms he said I can't get this well-known woman on the telly so I'll never get you and they don't want women on the telly they don't mean it they don't mean it and I was like, well, telly's not the only thing. But then I got my own meeting. I was called in by the BBC because they, you know, they decided they wanted some women or something and I got in for a meeting. And when I told him, I thought he'd be pleased and he said, well, if you're going to get your own meetings, there's no point you having me. Mm-hmm. And so I got let go, but I thought, oh, now I've got my own Radio 4 show. They'll all at least come and see the live show, That you know, at least have a look at it. And I got one email that said, um, I can't consider anyone of the female persuasion... That, that might sound sexist, but it's not. It's not me that's sexist, it's the industry. And I wrote back to her, and it was a her, of course it was. The men didn't answer. And, uh, the, and, and, I, and I said, you know, I'd like you to come and see me on, based on merit, whether or not, like, just take my gender out of it and decide, am I your kind of thing? And uh, eventually, because of some of the things that I said, which were probably a little bit emotive, um, she said, OK, OK, I'll come, and she didn't. And then somebody else said, uh, we're a bit saturated girl-wise at the moment. And I said, and this is 2014, early 2015, about 2014. And I said, and, and this was just before I started The Girls Famous, and I said, what does saturated look like? Yeah. As, you know, what does saturation look like? And they wrote back and said, oh, her boss wrote back and said, oh, we wish you well, we're just not taking on anyone. And I was like, you've already told me. So I just went, okay, if I've, if I've got my own Radio 4 show now and that's what everyone's trying to get and I still can't get you to even look at me, I don't want someone to represent me if they come along and it's just not their thing, that's absolutely fair enough. But if I still can't get you to even look at me, then I have to start my own thing. They kept saying, but they don't want women comedians. And I was like, well, the industry might not, but I think the audience yeah. does. <laughs> and then the Guilty Feminist has proven that true. You know, we've played the Royal Albert Hall. And it was... It was but you know what? You know 
what? I have sexism to thank for this show. <laughs> because it was that and being bullied by a male comedian in a way that I found very, very upsetting. The combination of those things that I just went, okay, it's done, it's done. I can't do this anymore. So I either have to make my own space where women are welcome and not just welcome, they're celebrated, or I have to leave. I had that Will Young song playing in my head. I think I'm going to leave right <laughs> With the white T-shirt. Exactly. Yeah. And that video clip where he's yeah. sort of, the music video where he's sort of trying, he's, he's walking, someone's dragging away and he keeps coming back. So that was me in comedy. If you watch, and please do look that YouTube clip up, it's Will Smith and he's, people are trying to get him out and he Will keeps Smith. coming back and he goes, not Will Smith, Will, Will yeah. Young. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave right now. And that was me, basically, with comedy that I nearly left. I nearly left. I was this close and I was like, then I just sort of went, you know, Bridget Christie said to me, you're never going to find your voice until you say the thing that you're too scared to say. And I said, well, that's right for you, Bridget, because you want to say really good, powerful feminist things. What I want to say is, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I'm, yeah. I'm a feminist part. And ironically, when I said that, I thought I'd really given up on it. I just thought, well, even if 100 people listen to this podcast, it's 100 people, that'd be fun. I do think our pivots in life generally lead to our absolute best stuff. And the women I know whose husbands have left them, I really think the husbands regret it because they are now in their absolute power going... So have I got to get rid of Tom? No! No, we don't want our husbands They're both to married to the same Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get married to him after as well now. It's a whole thing. Do you know what I don't like is you never bother to send the thank you night either in our throuple. No. Um, yeah, anyway... I, I do think... No, no, we don't want people... To, no, we could be in our power if things go along as well. There's other ways in which we need to pivot. You know, there's all sorts of things that life throws at us. It doesn't have to be someone leaving us. But I think sometimes when something seems to be the worst thing that's ever happened to us, mm. again and again, it forces us to find a new strength and a new power. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful place to develop and grow our feminism. Um, has, does anyone else feel this? Yes. Yeah. Has anyone else had a big thing happen and then go on? Yeah. Wait. What was that? Joining, Joining a netball team. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Laura, Lex, um, on that note, where and when can we buy your book? Well, you can buy the hardback now and then there's the paperback, which is much more like hand luggage tube friendly, um, comes out 23rd of June and it should be everywhere. And you've already said where we can see you? Yeah, yeah, that was a mistake. Uh, where can we see you? You were asking for something else, uh, but you were Leicester explicitly Squ asking me now where... Leicester Square Theatre, 17th, Theater, of, June, Leicester 17th Square. of June. Everyone buy tickets now. Edinburgh Fringe, if you can't say anything nice, it's more of me slagging off men like David. Oh, David, will you go and see that show? Just sit, sit up in the, the back. front row, mate. Are you still there, David? <laughs> Excellent. David, you got anything to plug for conservation? <laughs> anything we should be giving money to or doing and not doing? What did you say? It's not my space. Oh. That man is a fucking saint. <laughs> Don't you ever have a go at David. He says things like, it's not my space. Your bed. No. He's the loveliest man. Grow up. He's just trying to sleep with women. No. He's not. David, we thank you for your work. And if there's anything we can do for you on the podcast to promote what you're doing, because we all need the planet, then please let us know. <laughs> Listen, David, are you single, David? Yes, depressing. 
Oh, oh, fuck, stop saying this shit that makes me feel guilty. David. Stop saying this. David. My husband's about to leave me if you want to. <laughs> David, if you can't pull in this room, you can't pull in a women's prison. Now, that's not... Don't, Tom, cut that out. That's not appropriate. Now... Seriously, is anyone interested in, in going on a date with David? Because he's a concert... No, you've got a husband. He's got a... He's a listen, he'll be in the bar. David, where will you be upstairs afterwards? Because someone might come and talk to you. You'll be in the bar. Will you be in the bar? Yeah, yeah, sure. What are you wearing, David? It's very dark. The most boring jacket you could ever imagine. The most worn jacket, but is it, has it been cuddling little otters? That jacket. <laughs> do you go out and do you cuddle otters personally? Yes. And beavers? Yes, and little fish. Do you? Do you get your hands dirty? Do you go out there and conserve things? Yes. Yeah. David, you are a saint. How old are you? Why is it Because I'm trying to set you up with a number of beautiful single women. How tall are you? <laughs> this is just like Tinder Live, this is. Um, just, just put the house lights up slightly. Because this is... Okay. okay. Okay, if you're single, just put your hand up. Okay, great. Excellent. I can see some women here. Oh, my God. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, you know... No, well, I don't know how old David is yet. Did he? he didn't say, did he? What is happening? Third, David's 32. Um, so, uh, t- Libby, 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 Libby. How old are you? Uh, why, why are you saying you're too old? You, did you not hear about Al Pacino? <laughs> this is feminism in action. Come on, if men can do it, if men can be Al Pacino... Then Libby, you, you would bring wine to this man at the end of the day when he's been out there saving the otters and you could come home with a large bottle of Merlot and, you know, woman-made. How old are you, Libby? Oh, what, 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 how old are you, Libby? Why did you say that? No, that's not true. Libby, 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 you look, you look no older than 32 anyway. It's not matter anyway. You, you're, you're, you're a woman, you're a glorious woman in wine. About a decade old. You're a glorious woman in wine. Okay, all right. Well, listen, I will buy you both a glass of wine upstairs. And I'll explain the offside rules to you both upstairs. If you want to see what happens, gather round. Um, <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis Um, oh, have you enjoyed it, David, by the way? Have you enjoyed it? Because you didn't know about this show. No, I had no clue at all. But have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I might read it. You might what? I think I've never played netball. You might play netball? Okay, that's gone too far now, David. That's getting unconvincing now. Okay. Um, and also I've got a play on... The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. 
Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.